Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Life is unpredictable. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Well, luck is a word that Christians don't like very much. Lucky or luck. Sometimes it appears like fortunate. We'll say, well, they're fortunate. Luck. I don't know about your family, but I was raised in a home where that word was not uh, well-received. Well, they're lucky. Well, my father would, uh, would deal with that in gentle ways and sometimes more forceful ways. He didn't want his children to come to believe that uh, the only reason people uh, are where they are is because of sheer random chance happening. He did not believe in that at all. He believed, even in his unsaved state at that point, that hard work, thinking, labor, diligence, those are the values that help craft and carve out a life. And they are where they are because much of that, not just because uh, they were bumps on a log and, and the sunshine shone on them and not on the rest of mankind. He didn't want his kids raised with that. And so we would, he would not tolerate that kind of thinking in our home. And Christians, rightfully so, should not tolerate such a word as lucky. It points to, and I have on your sheet, an impersonal chance happening that simply occurs without a plan or design. The idea of randomness, you know, just your, your number came up and, and the sun shone on you and, and isn't your good fortune and all of that. I'm reminded that much of our world embraces luck or chance happening or randomness, if you will, uh, non-logical, non, uh, non-rational, simply um, luck as the reason for life today. We reject that without any question. It, uh, it denies God, His personality, His plan, His sovereignty, His design, His program for the ages. And, uh, and so, uh, rightfully so, the church has said, we do not believe in that at all. Uh, uh, luck is not our God. Chance is not our God. R.C. Sproul, I've said it a hundred times, not a chance is the name of his book that uh, says that chance isn't a driver at all. It's simply a, a, a number, is a probability numbers. That's all that chance is. It doesn't drive anything. It's not an engine that could even power your car, uh, let alone with the prices of gas today. It, not at all. And so Christians have rejected that, uh, even though we live in a world where uh, people seem to worship this in uh, avoiding the God that is. Well, the Bible-believing Christians through the centuries, and we do as a church, and I hope you do as an individual, we know that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is sovereign. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has a plan, a plan that includes all things. Now, that easily goes beyond our abilities, but then I'm reminded most things do. I, I don't know how most things operate. I, I don't. I, I don't know how electricity works. I've never seen it. Never seen it. But I'm not going to sit in the dark till I figure it out before I turn the light on. I'm not sure how an engine works. 
you know, I have an idea. The cylinders go up and down, and there's some sort of a cam in it, and they're push rods, and all that translates into my, t my wheels are moving, you know? I, d I don't know how that all works exactly to you. Uh, I don't know how my body works. You know, I, I, I get sick and take an antibiotic. Somehow this stuff eats up the bad stuff. I don't know how that works, right? Do you? I don't. How about vision? I don't know how that works either. Todd, you're uh, an eye doctor, but it's, it's phenomenal. The eyes, you actually see, I'm told, everything upside down, and your brain inverts it. And if you put on glasses that flip it around in just a short order, your brain flips it around again. How does that work? It's amazing. And how is it that we're on this, this hunk of rock that's really molten? You know the center of the earth is molten? It's liquid, very hot. Don't want to touch the stuff. But we're on the crust. And how is it that we don't fall off? You know, just kind of like, whoop. You know, like we're pointing towards outer space. The earth is spinning. How does that happen? Oh, and they talk about gravi gravity. You know, electrogravity forces that, I don't know how that works. And you know what? They don't even know how gravity works. They can describe what God has done. But I don't know. We don't know very much. It, I don't even remember when I, before I was seven. I remember when I was saved at seven. The only thing I know. When I was seven, I got a baseball mitt. Mm, that's about it for the first seven years of my life. I was, I was here, I guess, but I don't know anything about it. And then the next years, they tried to teach me math and some other things. I used to know that stuff better, but I lost it, or most of it. I can still count change. I know if I get your change, make sure you count your change. I see a lot of people are really poor at math. You want to be an example on that. We don't know very much, really. We don't. All our knowledge is derivative. We're creatures. We're sinful. We're under judgment, and we're pretty small. And I won't say puny because some of you marked that down the number of times, <laughs> but we really are, P-U, and I won't, I won't spell it either. Okay? We are. We don't know very much. And what you don't use, you lose. It seems to be the way it is. Even Einstein said that one of his most favorite, uh, favorite quotes while he was teaching mathematics at the University of Princeton, Einstein said this, God, believe that or not, the, br the most brilliant mind, some say, uh, in, our, in the last hundreds of years, he said, God does not play dice with the universe. It's not random chance. It's not chaos. It's ordered. It's designed in, in God. How about that? How about that? That's Einstein. Wow. Well, however, when you look at life, now let's look at it. It doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? It doesn't. It's upside down and backwards. How many times have we, we have taught you that from God's Word? We live in a fallen world. Sin and death reign. Stuff happens. Life's unpredictable. Even if you take uh, out your piece of paper and write down in the next 12 months what you want to do with your life, even in some detail, and you pull that out a year from now, you will be amazed. A, if you're still alive. B, how many things never came about that you thought would, and how many things happened that you never anticipated. Life is unpredictable. Moment by moment, yet we press to the next moment of time. I mean, James said that, you know, we and James, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that, and not assume we'll just make our plans with little thought of God or little thought about our lives and how feeble and frail and small and unpredictable they really are. In James 4, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or we'll do that. 
for what is your life? He said, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. The reality is we don't know what's going to happen in the next hour. Life is unpredictable. It doesn't seem to make any sense. God's godly people suffer. Evil people at times seem to be blessed and prosperous. In fact, you cannot tell by looking at life circumstances who it is that has the approval of God. That'd be easy, right? Everyone who's the wealthy and the famous and the rich and the well-known and everyone, you say, well, they're gods. And all the rest, they're under the judgment of God. I got news for you. That's not life. That's not the way it is. It isn't. It isn't at all. And Solomon's going to tune into that very theme here in this book in Ecclesiastes 9. Turn to there if you haven't found it yet. He's going to tell us that life is filled with mystery. It's mysterious, the ways of God. He's good, he's great, he's loving. I was thinking about that this morning in my worship time, that God who is almighty, and he is, he's El Shaddai, he's El Shaddai, and yet he is the great lover. He's the great lover. God so loved that he gave. You're not the great lover. Romeo isn't the great lover. Our God is the great lover. He's holy, he's righteous, He's the great and almighty God. He is the great lover. But I have, I have to tell you, and you know it, life is filled with mystery. He's writing a great script. It's the great novel of all. It's filled with mystery. You cannot always see what he's going to do from moment to moment, but he's still on the throne and he reigns. There are many unanswered questions in life. There are in my life. I'm sure there are in yours. We'd like to ask, and we've said at times, Lord, why did you do what you did? Why? 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 I thought about that this week with, with Ron Nelson and his dear niece. He jumped in the water to swim, and she drowned at 14, right, Ron? 15. Why? Lord, why? Why? She had her whole life in front of her. And... Uh, and even maybe children and many generations till the Lord come, if the Lord tarries. Why? It's filled with mystery. Many unanswered questions. And all of this may, may drive us to gloom and to, to, to despair. We ought to, I've said it before, we ought to grieve with those that know not Christ, that, that blow their minds on drugs because they look at life as it is and it seems like a sick joke. And they fill their their belly with alcohol because they just can't cope with it. What bad thing's going to happen next? Why go outside? Some end their life in suicide. Ernest Hemingway. Our culture carries him around. He's the real Renaissance man of our last hundred years. Ernest Hemingway took his own life. He couldn't stand living with the reality of life. Lived like a pig. Was immoral as could be. Left his child. It was terrible and then ends his life. And Schaefer says, we ought to grieve for folks that know not life that the Bible teaches and why it is as it is and man's only hope that's found in Jesus Christ alone. We ought to weep with them. We ought to draw close to them. We do that. Faith and I try to do that in our neighborhood. People that don't know Christ, we befriend them, draw them close. They have lifestyles that we, we, we obviously don't approve of. But uh, we, don't, we don't draw away from them. We draw, try and draw close to them. that They might see Jesus in us and be drawn to the Savior. And we ought to do that. 
My job as a pastor teacher is to train you to be the ministers. Did you know that? That's, that's Ephesians 4. I'm to equip you and train you. I try to do that from the pulpit. We do that in small group. To train you so that when we go out, we'll make a difference in this community. Places where we work and people we ought to draw close to them, not be put off by their ways. That's the, what we're to be as salt and light. There's mystery. Life as it is can drive many to gloom and despair. Well, Solomon is going to, to tell us to take life as it comes. And don't insist on understanding everything about it, for it's impossible. It's impossible. In school, you go there and they'll give you an A, B, C, or D, or, or, or however, what grade level or what school you're in, depending on your mastery of the subject. Teacher, did, did I get an A? I don't think so. You didn't master the material very well. You got a D minus, right? Don't think in life that you're going to master all of the questions. You won't. Don't let it upset you. Don't let it throw you off. Don't let it fill you with despair so that you cannot enjoy the life that God has given to you and to be a blessing, to make something out of your life. That's what God would have us to do through the pen of Saul of Solomon as he writes about this un- unpredictability of life. For you cannot anta- anticipate God's sovereign plans. Life is not always nice, nor is it fair, is it? It's not fair. It's not fair. It's no different than our young children at the playground when the bully pushes the child off the swing and takes over. It's not fair. It's not fair. And, and we grow up and we realize the same thing. And we maybe don't say that audibly, but in our heart we say it's not fair. It's a day of injustice. When will the books be balanced? They will be in the day to come at the famous seat of Christ the Lord. Well, four insights in Solomon's writing of this uh, chapter 9, helping you and help me, helping me to live in this unpredictable world of ours where you don't know what will even happen tomorrow. Let's uh, read at least the first 10 verses here uh, of Ecclesiastes 9. So Solomon says, so I reflected on all of this. He's going to come to one of his concluding comments now. I reflected on all of this, the first eight chapters, and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. No man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As with a good man, so is with a sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil. and There is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their jealousy have long since vanished, and never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, 
And always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. We'll stop at this point. Life is unpredictable. And how do we live in such a fallen world where moment by moment, phone call by phone call, we don't know what's coming next down the pike of our life? Well, the first insight found in verse 1 that certainly helps us with the unpredictability of life is that God sovereignly controls the affairs of all people, and particularly his own people. And that's what he's saying in verse 1. I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise, here it is, what they do are in God's hands. That's what he's saying. What they do are in God's hands. In other words, God is in charge and in control and on the throne of all these things, the affairs of his people. A, Solomon tells us his conclusion, the righteous and the wise are in God's hands. God is calling out a people. Today, the church bride of Christ, and he's providing for them what he says here, a righteousness, the righteous and the wise. What do we mean by that? Well, God is providing them with a righteousness and a wisdom. What's he mean by a righteous or the righteous? There's none of us that are righteous. The Bible says that. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are almost redundant. And there are none righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. I'm not righteous. You're not. We're not born with any. In fact, we're born quite the opposite. We're born with a sin bent, and we sin. Sinner sin, that's what we do. None righteous. Don't measure yourself by one another. You know, in school we say, are you going to grade on a curve, teacher? You know, where we're all together in this thing. We like that sometimes, especially when we all blow it, right? You get a 65, but you still end up with a B. That's amazing. No, don't compare yourself with each other. The standard bar is God and righteous, and we are way out, way down. We are not. And yet God, through Christ, poured out his wrath upon his Son at Calvary's cross. The wrath that we justly deserved. It was the love of God that did it. That's why Christ came. That's why he is the only one. He is the door to heaven. I was saddened to read again in the paper this week some terrible surveys that were taken by either uh, it was of evangelicals that either don't know their Bible or, or pastors are not preaching the Word or they're completely immersed in the pagan culture of America today and believing that there are all kinds of roads to heaven. Well, that sounds tolerant. That sounds wonderful. It's simply not true. It's not my idea. I'm just the delivery guy. My paper boy delivers the paper. I used to have a paper out when I was a kid. Don't blame him for what's on the headline. Don't blame him for what's in the paper. God wrote his book through the Spirit of God. It's his message, and I'm going to give an account for his, how I delivered it and worked on the training of the saints. You've got a problem with the message. You've got a problem with God and his word. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And if there were other avenues to heaven, let me tell you, Christ did not need to come from heaven, certainly live among sinful people, certainly face the death of the cross and die as he did for you and for me, if we could be saved through Islam or Hinduism or New Age or whatever. Absolutely a waste of time, effort, agony, and suffering. There's only one way. Wide and broad, Jesus said, is the way that leads to hell, destruction. And many are on that path. I do not want you to have mush between your ears. You need to think carefully and acutely in this day in which we live, which very few people, I find, are even thinking. Think biblically. Love people dearly. But don't muddle your theology. It is Christ alone, through saving faith alone, through the righteousness that God gives. Now, you're going to stand before God someday, and if God should say, why should I allow you into heaven? Do not say, because I'm pretty good, or I'm better than the next. You're lost, if that's your spaces. Now, you should be, and all of that, if you're saved, because God is making us like Christ, conformed to his image. But the only reason that you will be entered into heaven is because of Christ and the righteousness that he gives. Paul puts it this way. It's the righteousness that comes by faith. When we are saved, God gives us the righteousness of Christ. Our sin is given to him, nailed to the cross, paid in full. Salvation is a gift. And Solomon's alluding to that. And when he calls the righteous here in verse 1, and the wise that he's giving, he's talking about the redeemed of the Lord. From, from Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve to the end of time to the last man, woman, boy is saved. Well, number two, God is directing the life and the activity of his own. Romans 8.28, right? That God is working together uh, for the good. All things in our lives, he reigns as the sovereign potentate, king of kings and lord of lords. While yet no one can tell, I said this in the introduction, by God's treatment of a particular person or people, whether they're objects of God's love or hatred. You cannot tell. I cannot tell. We don't know if that blessing is common grace, God's patience, or if it's his goodness given to his children from moment to moment. And the same thing with adversity and trouble and sorrow and grieving. You cannot tell. You cannot tell from, from just the way people's lives go in life, whether they have God's sweet favor or his patience and long-suffering. Remember Solomon had warned in 6.16 that prosperity is not always a good thing. It isn't. We think it is. Oh, if I could just be prosperous, if I could just have all the money I want in the bank account, if I could just have the health that I enjoy, if my family could just be, if I could just, boy, if I could get the promotion, if I could just get that degree, man, if I could just have things my way. It wouldn't it be great? The reality of life is, if you know Christ as Savior, is that most of us can't handle that kind of prosperity. We go, oh, things are great, Lord, I'll take it from here. Right? And we go wandering away. There he goes. There's that tendency in all of us. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's within all of us. 
It is. And so the Lord sometimes allows affliction and trouble just to keep us closer. Sometimes some of you don't even pray until you're in the midst of an incredible situation. Oh, yeah, right. Pastor, I'm supposed to pray. I better start praying. And all of a sudden we start feeling it. Some folks have to go to the hospital. Did you know that? They have to go to the hospital and lay in straight up looking at the Lord before they start talking to Him. It should never be that way. And so prosperity is not always good. Adversity is not always bad. It's not. The old preacher said years ago, I think it was Spurgeon, God cannot truly begin to use a man until he's hurt him deeply. You think some of the great servants of the Lord, the great men and women through the centuries of time, they've been deeply hurt through loss and suffering and grieving and all sorts of illness. Did you know Spurgeon even suffered terrible uh, uh, from uh, gout and was pained, was depressed because of the uric acid in the system. You know, you think, like, was, was everything going great for him? No. How about the Apostle Paul? They took him out and stoned him. Didn't he have, a, and God has a wonderful plan for your life and live happily ever after? Where do we get this nonsense from? It's crazy. It's only in fables. And so Solomon had warned us, and we saw that earlier, that adversity is not always bad. Well, God's approval or disapproval of us cannot always be read from life's circumstances. I just point you again to Job and his friends. What horrible counsel that was, wasn't it? Job, you know, you're suffering because, right? God is just, and, uh, and you, you must be wicked, and you're holding back, and so God is taking everything from you. You cannot tell. They were t- completely clueless as to why he was suffering. They were completely wrong. In fact, uh, uh, he had to pray for them so that God would deal with his friends who were completely off target, trying to give the easy answer. There is no easy answer. You don't know and I don't know. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, went there, and we often think of him as one of the great missionaries, and certainly was. You know how he suffered there? He buried his wife there. She about lost her mind, buried his children there. He died of young age. Look at that. One of the great missionaries. We think, wow. You cannot tell from life's circumstances what God is doing moment by moment. I call you to even think about your own life, about how many of the things that have happened to you have been determined by events over which you had no control. Think about things that have happened in your life that uh, came upon you or were a part of you that you had no control over, and yet they formed you and are forming you even today. God is in charge. And we can sleep at night because He's in charge, and we're not. I couldn't even sleep at night if I had thought I was in charge and I had the responsibility of watching 24 7 over not only myself, but my dear wife and my children, my granddaughter, like it's up to me, you've got to be kidding. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. I can't even see most things that are coming. In my eyes, say it's getting worse. <laughs> and you're the same. But I can sleep because God's in charge. And now I lay me down to sleep, and he takes care of me. And if he takes me home, he takes me home. He's in charge. He's, he's given me the righteousness to live by. And I'm growing in grace and fighting against sin and want to be holy as he's commanded me to be. But it's, he's in charge. And so that's the first insight, helping you and helping me to live 
in this unpredictable world. But we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. The second, in verses 2 to 6, since death is certain and coming soon, sorry to tell you that, but it's coming soon. It's coming soon. Choose to live life to the fullest. That's what he's saying in verses 2 to 6. And it helps us deal with this unpredictability of life. How do we go on? Look at number two, verse 2. All share a common destiny. Talking about death. That's the, that's the finish line of life. The righteous and the wicked, the good, the bad. So everybody, everybody, whether you love the Lord and you live for more of your life, or you live, love the Lord and you live a short life, the wicked, you know, the godless, the perverts, the criminals, the, all of it. We all share a common destination, death, the grave, as he's talking about here. He goes on to enumerate. We figure it out. Verse 3, this is the evil and everything that happens under the sun. Life here and now is the only thing he's talking about. He's not talking about the hereafter. He's not talking about heaven, the glory of heaven, the prepared place, and, and on all that that God has in store for, for you if you know him, if you're saved. He's not talking about that. He's just talking about life here and now as we know it. The same destiny overtakes all. What he's saying, Look, there's one event, A, that is common, it's death. All people, all people, it does not matter if one is good or bad, all die. God had warned Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 2, 17. Do not eat of the, true, the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat it, in the Hebrew it's emphatic, you will die indeed. You will die. He warned him. It was the grace of God after they disobeyed in chapter 3 that God didn't just wipe their lives out and start again. He could have been holy and just and all the rest, but he didn't. They died spiritually, for sure, and he sacrificed an animal. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. I know that because he covered them with uh, the coverings of animals. They were naked and ashamed. Amazing what happened. Uh, there was a total awareness of shame and hiding from God. And guess what? You, you, we are their children. You ever hear of the Adams family? You ever watch that? We are part of the Adams family. That's the problem. Say, I have a problem. I know what your problem is. It's my problem, too. We're born in sin, under judgment. That's us. And because of that, we die. And if we didn't die, according to the ways of God, we would never be saved. Never. Ever. We would continue on as rebellious sinners uh, forever and ever. God has provided through the death of his son man's only hope. Well, some will die early and some will die late, but all will die. Number one, death is the great equalizer. Death is. We love this week as, uh, as a holiday week. On the Friday, it's the 4th of July, and we celebrate the Declaration of Independence all men are created equal. Well, we realize we're not equal. We're all different. Some of you are more handsome, more gifted, more abilities, and all of that, right? Healthier than, than I or than others. But we're so-called and ideal uh, to be equal be standing before the law. That's what that meant. And, and so we uh, take it that way, and we're thankful for that. Uh, but uh, the reality is, is is that death is really the great equalizer of all people, 
All may not pay taxes. Did you know that? But all will die. Here's a newsflash. Okay? You're going to die. You're going to die. You are. Bit by bit, if you go on, your body will start to crumble. It's crumbling now anyway, unless you're 21 or 2 or under. And maybe even then it's a problem. Your body is on the way out. And they're going to carry you one day if the Lord tarries on the way out. It's a newsflash. You're going to have a heart attack someday. Your heart, as amazing as it is, how about that? It only rests between the beats. That's kind of, that sounds like hearts ought to unionize, right? That's not much of a rest. But uh, your heart's going to stop. You're going to get cancer. You, you will. I'm sorry to tell you that. Some, someday that'll happen. If you don't have a car accident or slip on a banana peel or get hit by a bus, it's going to happen to you. It's happening to me, right? I've already had two heart catheterizations. They said pretty good, but it's been years ago. I go to the skin doctor tomorrow. They got basal skin. They say, oh, that's skin cancer on top of your skin. They got to slice that thing off. That's the way it is, right? So what do they do? Just pack it in and go home and mope and fill with gloom? I don't think so. That's what he's talking about. It's a great equalizer. So how are you going to handle that? How are you going to live in a, How are you going to live with the unpredictability of life? You're just going to pack it in and quit, go home? Just hide. I'm going to hide. I'm not going to go outside. I'm not going to see people. People are out. I could catch your cold anyway, right? I've got all those germs and all that stuff. Actually, there's a whole movement today. I see that with children. You know, the best thing is I'm reading is let your kids be exposed to everything when they're young. That's how they develop all the antibodies and the immunity. Keep your kids isolated, and then they're going to be a disaster when they get older. That You want to expose them, right? I don't know. Some of you are medical, know far more about that than I do. Uh, but uh, in any event, you're going to die. Death is the great proof that there's something wrong with humanity. It forces us to face reality. I can't tell you the number of funerals that I've had, uh, Christian funerals, and the joy of of celebrating a job well done and finishing the race and, and celebrating life lived and the fact that they're home, they're home with the Lord. And folks that uh, really rather be somewhere else, the unsaved folks that know not Christ and don't know what it means to be saved and have the hope of heaven in their heart. They wish to be anywhere else. Oh, please, Pastor, wrap this up fast. Can't you be done with this? You see the casket down in front and there's Larry or Jim or Betty or, or Mary Laid out for, oh my, oh my, please, I want to I get out of here. I don't want to be here and all that. Why? It faces the ultimate reality of their own death, their own mor mortality. And it's uh, God made us to live. Death is the great interruption. We know that in our own hearts. Solomon's saying that. The common destiny that we all share, uh, share the grave. It's uh, like a game of chess, isn't it? Yeah, some of you play chess. Bobby Fischer died here a little bit ago. I remember when I was in uh, high school, he took on Spatsky there, and it was the great... How many of you remember that? I mean, they used... Look at that. Uh, and it really, it really helped chess playing in the United States. Everybody got, well, get a chess board. I got to play this. Bobby Fischer is going to beat Spatsky and win the world championship. Wow, that was something. And I remember listening. I mean, could anything be more boring? Maybe golf. Some of you like to watch golf on TV. I can never figure that out. Watching golf on TV, oh my, that, uh, 
Yeah, insomnia. I mean, that'll solve insomnia, I think. Something like that. No, Larry? I'm sorry, Larry. Forgive me for that. But uh, how about chess? I don't know, how about 20 minutes to make a move? Oh, my word. And they were, they were had that on the radio and, uh, and all of that, watching the move. Chess is like that. On the chess, you have all these pieces, and they all have different powers and position and all that, the king and the queen and the rook and the bishop, and you got the pawns, the little guys in front, right? And, uh, and all that. What happens at the end? The game is over. None of them, they lose all their position, all their power, all their place, and it goes all into the box. That's life. That's life. Sorry, Larry. That is life. It is. It all goes into the, the box. And it's over. Here and now, it's over. Maybe this long, maybe that long, really. And then it's over. It all goes into the box. That's what Solomon is telling us in this passage here. Don't be surprised by that. Well, the certainty of death causes some to run into even more sin in 3B. That's what he's talking about. Madness in their hearts. Men see this in their lostness, and they say, well, if that's all there is, if you only go around once, man, I'm just going to fill it up with everything I can, and who really cares, and I'm going to live like a pig and be hedonistic, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do anything and everything. And just and that's, it's almost just like they see that death is the finish line. They just go like, we have this mad craziness about them. Their hearts are full of evil. That's what he's talking about. The total depravity that we've talked about before that's within us. This restlessness, this unhappiness that is ours until we find help beyond ourselves. That's found in Christ alone. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul said. That's man's only answer. Well, yet see, Solomon tells us it's better to live, to, it's better to be alive than to be dead. That's what he's talking about here in 4 to 6 when he says in 4, anyone who is among the living has hope. And then he offers this proverb. That's what it is. Uh, even a live dog is better than a dead lion. The king of the jungle. How'd you like to meet a lion someday? Man. I was at the Brookville Zoo once in Chicago, and, and the lions, they were beautiful there. They had some white tigers as well, Jonathan. I know that's your city there. And, the, you know, I was actually growling at them. We had the kids that were a little like, rah, rah, you know. It's, you know, like I was protected. I saw one of those in nature, I'd be in deep trouble. I think it'd pounce on me, and it'd be over faster than fast. But a dead lion, what's that? That's nothing. A live dog is better. Now, some of you like your little Fidos and your little doggies, and I know that, and they're really a blessing. They are. I'm coming to that. Some of you don't believe that, but I really, really am. I saw it with my mother. I mean, her dog meant more to her than I think the kids did, you know. That was her companion when my father was gone. It meant a great deal to her. But in, that day, in this day, these dogs were not like the, the domesticated, beautiful golden retrievers and, and their beautiful dogs. They weren't like that. They were scavengers. They were thought as being distasteful. Um, uh, and yet, Solomon says, life is the, is the important thing. And even one of these dogs that's rather repugnant, running the alleys, fighting to, for something to eat, scrawny, dirty, flea-inflicted type dog. He's not talking about our beautiful house dogs and our pets. That kind of scavenger dog is better off. Why? Because he's alive. He's alive than even 
the king of the jungle who is now dead. What? Life. That's the precious thing. It's the precious thing. Since you, don't, since you know this, he's saying live life to the max. You're alive. There's hope. Don't waste it. Live. The Lord's in charge. He's sovereign. Death is certain and coming soon. Choose to live life to the fullness. Wow. As if to punctuate our series and my message even this week, Sunday, I was so sad to hear when I went home from church, got a phone call that one of my oldest friends was taken home to glory. I still can't believe it. Colin Smith. Some of you remember at uh, the church in Charmanstown years ago. Creedon, you might remember. Colin came down and had the, the Bible conference. and He did an unbelievably wonderful job on the book of Ruth. I never heard a finer exposition of it. Dr. Colin Smith, in my estimation, and he was my age, 53, was the was the most brilliant man of my era, most gifted. He was a tremendous pastor. He pastored uh, Grace Baptist in Washington, D.C. Before he left there, he was there 18 years, and he went to uh, Cornell University to get a, earn a, eventually a Ph.D. in ancient Near Eastern studies. It's very unusual for a, a, man, a man of our uh, biblical understanding and evangelical to have that kind of brilliance. You know, most of us read 1 Corinthians 1 and we take joy. Not many wise, not many brilliant. We look among ourselves and we go like, mm, that's true. But God does give some. And Colin was one of them. I remember years ago when I was working with him in the same place while we were in college and I was trying to run the textile equipment that I was given to run during my shift, he was upstairs doing the twisting material, trying to teach himself Latin while he was running the, the rewinders. I go, how does he do that? And he actually was teaching himself that. The brilliance that God had given to him was far beyond anything that I could ever, I could just admire and appreciate that he was a special tool in God's hands. He ended up, he ended up knowing eight or ten languages, could teach uh, hieroglyphics to students in Hebrew like nobody I ever met. And I took uh, a lot of years of study. And to know that uh, he was to, uh, to preach last Sunday and Anita came home and, uh, or found him in bed and he had died. And God said, your race is over. And I can't hardly believe it. He was in faith in my wedding in Philadelphia 32 years ago. All to remind us, who would have thought last Sunday morning when I was preaching uh, that this Sunday I would be saying, my friend Colin is now in heaven. And his memorial service was last night far away. I never would have believed it. I'm saying to you, life is unpredictable. You don't know from moment to moment. We're all under the sentence of death. God is in charge, certainly, but his ways are filled with mystery. Mystery, someone said, is the footprint of the divine. We may live this long, we may live that long. It's not in our hands. It's not our choice. 
the certainty of death is for sure. The thing that we need to do is make sure we're prepared, that we live with death in view. Somebody said you're not prepared to live until you're ready to die, and that's true. If you don't know Christ the Lord is your Savior from your sin, you are not prepared to die, and you're not prepared to live. Or this may be the day, this may be the week. I've lived long enough to see it, the uncertainty in God's ways. The third insight, not only since death is certain, coming soon, choose to live life to the fullest. Number three, verses seven to nine, God is pleased when we enjoy life as a gift from him. Look at verse seven, eight, and nine. This is one of the refrains that we found, our, our, found five of these uh, in the book. And this is the longest and the most detailed of all of them that Solomon stops and he encourages us in view of life as it is under the sun. Look what he said, verse 7. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. It is now, it's today is the emphasis. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. It's a word for vanity, habel. It's a word for vapor. It means brief or the brevity of it. But this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. God is pleased. I'm saying that. In view of the certainty of death, in view of the unpredictability of life, God is saying, what? Should we just pack it in, go home? No, live it to the fullest. Enjoy it as a gift that God has given. God has given you life. Enjoy it. Enjoy it today. Eat your bread. And that's the word. It's lahem, the Hebrew word bread. Enjoy it. Eat your food, the word bread. Bread and everything else. I like a steak. This coming Tuesday, we're going to celebrate another mile mark. We're going to lap the track again. going to be another birthday. So I had to say how old I was because uh, earlier in the sermon because I'm not going to be able to say that uh, any, anymore. And Faith is saying, well, what do, you, what do you want? And I thought, well, I'm not sure. And so I finally decided, I want a big, thick steak with uh, onions and mushrooms on it. Even butter it up. Man, just butter it right up there. Don't do it if you're not on Atkins. You have a cardiac arrest. But if you are, oh, man, that is good eating. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Even in view of the uncertainties and, and your mortality, live it to the fullest. Eat your bread, your meat, your, all of that with gladness, God says, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Get together with family and friends and have a great meal. Enjoy. Sometimes the waiter will say that, or server at, at your meal. They'll serve you and they'll see you smiling and they'll say, Enjoy. That's what God is saying to us. Enjoy in the midst of this uncertainties. God is pleased with that. Some people have this cocky, uh, cockamamie idea that somehow uh, the Christian life, you're really godly, you never smile. Just kind of frown. Oh, they're holy people. You know, that's crazy. Never. Never. I love uh, Howard Hendricks who says, most Christians' faces would be a book, a good uh, uh, good to, to be a cover for the, a study of the Book of Lamentations. 
frowning, sad, weeping, you know. Enjoy is what he's saying. Enjoy. Aren't you glad for that? Get together. Have a meal. Why? You're alive. You may not be around tomorrow. I may not make it till Tuesday. Enjoy today. Not like an existentialist. This is the only moment we have. Uh Uh-uh. Enjoy it as God's gift, as if he sets a great table. Enjoy it. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your family. Wow. Enjoy it now. Even though you were late, got laid off yesterday, and many are with the unemployment and the economy being off, and you don't know what tomorrow holds. Proverbs 27.1. You don't know what a day may bring forth. Don't boast about it. Don't boast. God created the world for us to enjoy. Don't become gloomy, deadbeat. Enjoy. Have fun. Enjoy it. That's what he's saying here. And this the longest refrain in the book of Ecclesiastes. Further, we are to celebrate, we're to have a festive time, we're to have a party. How do I get that? Look at the text in verse 8. Always be clothed in white. Now, a beautiful bride will have usually a, a flowing white gown and all her glory and all her beauty. And she's afraid to soil it at all before she comes and gives herself and that ceremony to her husband. And everyone wants to see the bride. That's her day. She's beautiful. And that's the flower full, right? Well, in the ancient day, they didn't have laundromats and, and washing machines and all that like we had. And so to put on your white garments, well, you did that for high occasions. Not only does the white, I think I have it on your sheet here. Uh, here it is. White clothing and ointments. That's like polo or some of the beautiful uh, Giorgio red cologne for the ladies, or some of those other. They were symbols of not only purity, the white clothing, but more than that, of joy. So if they had a festive time, they put on their, their festive clothing. They put off their workaday clothing, their garb. They pulled out that which was white. They, they were very careful with that because they didn't have all the laundry facilities that we all just throw it in the washer, we'll get it out, and it's ready in an hour or two, right? They didn't have that. But to put that on meant to live your life with a festivity about it, with a joyness about it. Why, you're alive. Enjoy it. Enjoy it in purity. Enjoy it in righteousness. But enjoy it. God is pleased with that. It's okay to smile. It's okay to enjoy it. Not in a perverted sense, not in a, a demented sense or in a sensual or licentious sense, but in a, 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 a sense of innocency and pure. And Lord, we're trusting you and thank you for your goodness and for the gifts that you give. That's what he's saying to us. Moreover, see, we're to enjoy life with our mates. And they say, man, enjoy your wife. And wife, enjoy your husband. Not only is he speaking here sexually in the delights of, of intimacy that God gives a, a husband and wife in marriage but to enjoy their companionship, their sweet times together. Enjoy life. Enjoy it together. Enjoy that is what he's saying to us. Even though life is fleeting, that's what he's saying when it's vanity here. And he says it twice, this meaninglessness. He says it twice in the NIV. It's that word hebel in Hebrew. It means uh, a vapor or vanity. It means it's brief. Even though life is brief, you have it and it's gone. You go like, it was here and it's gone. I can't believe it. Enjoy today as God's sweet gift. 
Don't be darkened by the fact that you do not know everything. You never will, nor will I. We won't. We won't. Enjoy it, even though life is fleeting. You know, I failed at that this miserably. Uh, one time in my life particularly stands out where I didn't enjoy life. I, I simply endured it. And it was my senior year of college. I, I, for whatever and all the reasons, I put too much on my plate. I was taking 19 hours of class. I was working a full second shift job. I did that in five days. And then on the weekends, I would drive down to Philadelphia to see Faith and uh, to teach uh, Sunday school. I had junior high boys class at uh, Bethel Church I was teaching. And I was exhausted, exhausted. And um, it was so bad that uh, I'd get up in the morning with my little calendar and I'd cross the day out already. And that was more than a symbol. It was a, it was a statement of fact that uh, I really disobeyed God. And uh, I took on too much and I did not enjoy life. I should have enjoyed that time. Uh, I endured it. And I, I repented after that, long after that, that I was wrong in that. And I should have sorted that out sooner than, uh, than what I did. God is saying enjoy life. God is pleased when we do it as a gift from him. We ought to do that. And the fourth and last insight helping us to live life in this certainly unpredictable world of ours. In verse 10, he calls us to work hard while you're able. Work hard. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Or in the grave where you're going. That's the finish line of life here. There's neither working, nor planning, knowledge, nor wisdom. He's not talking about heaven. Don't think of that. Is this, is this somehow different than absent from the body, present with the... No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about life under the sun, here and now. And when you're done, you're done. You won't go to work anymore. You won't. For soon, I have the byline after verse 10, you will lay aside all of your tools. All of them. I'll never forget that. When my father died so unexpectedly, to go into his workshop and all his tools were laid aside. When I went into his office and had the task of cleaning it out, don't you know, I can close my eyes and I can still see his desk. All his tools of his work never to be picked up again. There's a day to work. There's a day to accomplish something. There's a day to be productive. And that's today while we're living. And God says, do something. Do something with your life. Make it count. Solomon calls us to really give ourselves to our work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Why? That's the way God does it. Never half-hearted. Ho-hum. Imagine if God ho-hum made the universe. Oh, my. What a mess that would be, right? Or ho-hum, I'll make man. <laughs> Have an arm coming out here and, you know, an ear over there. and all. No. Whatever he does, he does it with passion and intensity, and that's the way we're to live our life. Work. Work's a good thing. It's just not a German ethic. I was raised that way. My father, work, 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 work. My father, again, help me as a gift of God. You work hard and play hard. God's pleased with that. Mix it up. Don't play too hard where you're not working. You're going to be in trouble. Don't work all the time. Then you fall over dead. What good is that? You know? Accomplish something. Work hard. And then lay it aside. In fact, that's the six-in-one-day rotation. You know? We're not Sabbatarian. 
And Saturday was the day of the, of the nation Israel to make them unique and distinct. But there is rule and practicality in the 6-1 rotation of creation week. You ought to take one day and make it wholly different. And we gather on the Lord's Day. And the Lord's Day ought to be wholly different. It ought not to be the same as every other day. Give that entirely to the Lord. But it's good not only to do that, but as a part of that, to find rest for your body and a change of pace. Don't keep the pedal to the metal all the time. Or you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to make it very long under God's sovereignty. You won't. Work hard. Do your very best. Work is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Do it with diligence. Work is a blessing. Look, if we didn't have something to do, I'd go stir crazy. Wouldn't you? We'd be in each other's hair. We'd be driving each other crazy. Faith knows that. How many times do I say that? If I didn't have something to do, I bet about a week or two she'd be getting the shotgun out. I've got to put him out of his misery. He's not worth, you know, I'd be worthless. I'd be in trouble. And so would you. Work is a good thing. God gave work to Adam in the Garden of Eden before the fall. God has given each of you gifts and abilities and the talents. He wants you to use them for his glory. Do it and do a good job and do it unto him. Even if you work for an unsaved boss. You know, they may not agree with your mindset and your values and your love for the Lord, but you work at it so that you're so good. He says, I can't be without that person. I need them. I want them. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was, you know. He didn't agree with Daniel, but he said, i got to have him. There's no one in my kingdom. I, I want him. And, you know, Potiphar uh, was the same way there in Egypt with Joseph. I want him. That was an employment situation, right? That's the way it ought to be. Look, B, today is a day to accomplish something. Do something. When death comes, all opportunities for work and service will end. It's a day to serve the Lord today. Serve him. Let's give ourselves to it. Create something worthwhile with your life. Work as unto the Lord. Work is a blessing. Haddon Robinson, I heard him say once, he said, uh, there have been times in life where I've had too much to do. There has been other times where I've had too little to do. And I'm here to tell you, too much to do is far better than too little to do. And we need to give ourselves to that. Work hard while you can in this world, this life that's filled with uh, unpredictability. Give yourself to it. Well, what can we say by way of lessons for our life? Number one, life is unpredictable. You cannot anticipate God's sovereign plans for your life. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have a plan. We need a plan. But you can't tell, nor can I, what God has from one moment to the next. God has filled my life with a lot of surprises. I could say, wow, I didn't see that coming. And so can you. Number two, one thing is for sure. Your life will not work out exactly like you expected it. It won't. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have great expectations. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have great plans. But remember, God is on the throne. He's weaving together a great story. And he is God and you are not. And so don't be surprised when it doesn't work out exactly as you expected. Number three, 
since you will die soon, and you will, if the Lord doesn't come, live your life to the fullest. Live it. Live it. Live it as a gift of God. And God says, you know what? I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased. There's a happy group of people. Look, if you and I exude with the joy of the Lord, the world's going to look at us and think, wow, what is the matter with them? What are they drinking? What are they smoking? What is that? And it's none of that. It's just the joy of the Lord that exudes living in this world as they live in this world. And God gives us a song, doesn't he? He does. In the midst of a life that's unpredictable. Number four, don't waste your life. Accomplish something with it. Do something. And if you're still here, even if you're retired, God still wants to do something through you. He does. Otherwise, he would have taken you home right away. You're done with your job. Oh, you're out of here. But you're still here. Find out what he wants you to do. Do it. Get engaged. Not to be married. Get engaged. And do something. Sometimes your most fruitful years, you got all those years of experience, you've grown to know the Lord. The work changes, of course, as we're able. But do something. Do something so that you two will hear, well done. Well done. You used all the days. And you don't know. The Lord may tarry, and you may live to be 100. You think, God, death has lost my address. I'm still here. Well, that may happen. Do something. Number five and last. Death is coming. You must be saved. You know Christ the Lord is your Savior. You must be born again. Those are not my words. Jesus said that. The Nicodemus. Have you been born again? Do you know Christ is your Savior? You know, in a simple prayer of faith, you can seal that forever. You have to realize and, and confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve judgment. None of us deserve to live. And the great love of God that he should so provide his own son, God made flesh, to die a death that he never deserved as the Lamb of God. Well, you must receive him as your Lord and Savior. You must believe upon him. And when you do that, God will save you. He will give you the righteousness that saves. Your sin in total, nailed to the cross. Gone forever. Gone, 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 gone. All my sin is gone forever, past, present, and future. It's no wonder that in the midst of a life that's filled with unpredictability, you and I, as the redeemed of the Lord, can have a song in our heart. I'll never forget being in Israel and uh, we would gather at different points. And uh, there we were at uh, Caiaphas, the traditional setting, Caiaphas' house, where Jesus was arrested and taken. You remember that? And we went down into the lower chambers. That You remember that, Mark? And we gathered together and we sang. And when we were done with that, it sounds so beautiful with uh, the masonry and, and all that. And we left and someone said to me, they saw that I was the group leader and pastor, and I said, are you guys a choir? Are you guys a choir? And I said, no, we just love the Lord. We have a song in our heart. That's the way it ought to be. In the midst of certainty of death and the unpredictability of life. And who knows what's going to happen in the next moment. God wants us to enjoy life and have a song that have the sun, have life, and they have it more abundantly. That's God's message for us today. Come to know Christ if you don't. And if you do, live for him forever. <laughs> 